today, uh, Sherry and I had the privilege of sitting down with Miss Harriet Renee Brown, and she works with the National Association of State 911 Administrators. And she uh, started her career in uh, northern Michigan and has a career spending some 30 years in the industry. I don't mean to age you like that, but uh, could you give us an idea as to when your career started out and to what year that was? Well, I was 12. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell people that. Um, no, I, actually, it was, it was 1988, and I was actually in my late 20s and still trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I applied for a job as a dispatcher, a corrections officer at the local sheriff's department. And we were called dispatchers back then because we still had party lines in the county that I started my career in, and there wasn't even 911 yet. Can you describe what a party line is? A party line is um, back in the still in the in the 70s and 80s, mm -hmm. it was common in rural areas where you would share a line on landline phones. And I, and I know there's people that aren't familiar with what landline phones and dial tones are, but you would actually share a line um, with, and you could pick up the phone and hear somebody else talking on the party line and they could actually hear you pick up so sometimes if you needed to really make a call you would just click the receiver and it would make this click 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 noise telling the people on the other line that you shared with that you wanted to make a, a call we at the sheriff's department that i worked at we didn't have party lines but we still had citizens in our county that had party lines back in the 80s Wow, I, I didn't even know what that was. So where in uh, northern Michigan were you from? From what we call lower northern Michigan. If I say I'm from up north, people in the UP remind me I'm not really <laughs> from up north. From um, an area called Benzie County. And here in Michigan, we always do this. Mm -hmm. This is east, this is west, and these are the Great Lakes, and this is the Upper Peninsula. Um, see, we do that all over the... If you're, yep. if you're from you Michigan, say, oh, yeah, you I'm always do here. it. <laughs> right here is, is Benzie County. Okay. And so I work in the next county over now. This is Leelanau. This is Benzie. This is Grand Traverse. It's like a, it's kind of a three-county area. Oh, I gotcha. Um, the tip, what we call the tip, the tip of the mitt. Mm -hmm. my, my parents have a house in Antrim County. Okay, Antrim County is right next right to Grand next Traverse, Grand Traverse. Yep, yep. So I, I know they are very well. That's awesome. I didn't know that party lines, especially in the 80s, because that doesn't seem like it was that long ago either when you think about it. Okay, so can you give us an idea? So you start off as a corrections officer and then dispatch when you were around 12 years it, old. Can you explain that a little more? <laughs> that was I, no, no, no. I say that. I say that because, no, I wasn't 12. I was actually <laughs> 28 um, when I started at the sheriff's department. Yeah. And, yeah. And, like I said, I had had a number of, of different jobs and at the time I was, I was working in a, a domestic violence shelter and wow. was looking for a, a change in, in my career. And it was a combined position um, that you were both a dispatcher and a corrections officer, that you would take okay. breaks during your shift to go do inmate counts or you could be booking somebody and helping dispatch an ambulance at the same time. The two positions were eventually 
eventually split into, and they remain separate positions now, telecommunicator and uh, corrections officer. But when I started, they were still combined combined positions. Okay, and, and why did you make the choice to stick with dispatch instead of going with corrections? Um, I, throughout my career at the sheriff's department, I stayed in both positions. I was offered okay. the opportunity. We passed, we passed a millage to build a new jail. And um, part of building the new jail was we split the positions and I had been named the coordinator of the transition team to move from our old jail to our new jail. And as part of that, I oversaw the uh, purchase of the, the telephone system, the purchase and the implementation of the building phone system, and then the inmate uh, phone system. And one day the sheriff came to my office and he said, hey, Harriet, you know about telephones, you know about dispatching, will you go to this 911 meeting for me? And I have a sign and I still have it that says, accomplishing the impossible only means your boss will add it to your regular duties. <laughs> because remember how I had pointed, <laughs> I, and, and that's been at my desks now for 30 years. Um, remember I pointed out this three county area, mm -hmm. Benzie, Grand Traverse, and Leelanau? The three counties were cutting over in a single plan together, but Grand Traverse County was going first, then Benzie, then Leelanau. And we had some overlapping exchanges and the operational policy testing part hadn't been done. And literally we were six weeks away from Grand Traverse County cutting over and we had exchanged um, overlapping exchanges that actually still needed, we, we had a 10 digit line that was going to come into the Sheriff Department. Mm -hmm. And I actually helped the technician from this, we'll tell you how long I've been around, Michigan Bell, help pull those phone lines in through the old jail. And we actually wow. had this dialed this princess phone trim line it was a trim line phone that had a rotary dial on it that you picked up and that was our first overlap exchange and so that the county next to us could have its enhanced 911 system and then our exchange in in um, Elmira Township when people called 911 there it would ring in on a 10 digit line and we did that cut over in May of, what was that, 90, 91. And then the next, the next year um, in September, Benzie County did its fully enhanced, fully enhanced 911 cut over. So the sheriff actually came to me and said, Harriet, you did such a good job coordinating the voice only part of it. Can you do the entire... Um, Enhanced 911 cut over. And of course, me saying, being who I am, say, of course I'll of course. do that, Sheriff. I'm happy to do that. Uh, and then in the meantime, I had also, um, we opened our new jail and had interviews for jail administrator. And I was offered that a position. So I became wow. both the jail administrator and oversaw 
the implementation of of nine one one for my for my county. Wow, that's. You've, it sounds like you had a very, very busy just couple of years in the late nineties or, or late eighties, early nineties time frame. Early, early nineties, yeah. Because oh then gosh. I also, at the time, I, I got I got married to somebody who's now my former husband, and moved away. And through my experience with nine one one, I was offered offered a position as a nine one one director. Um, in in downstate, I worked in Ionia for a little over a year, and then um, because my former husband lived in Allegan okay. and straight down the lake, yep. and a, a year later, I was offered the position of the director of Allegan County nine one one, and I held that position for over ten years. That's amazing. So just to bring it back a little bit, because I do see here that you are. You've been to school a couple of times I have a, and hold a couple of different degrees. So I want to get an idea mm -hmm. as to when you had picked to kind of lead the transition team in the early 90s, was that before, after, or during you were in school? And what degree would that, would that have been you were going for? I have, I, I was in the police academy. I have a law a degree in law enforcement and associate's degree. Um, from NMC, Northern Michigan College in Traverse City. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go back a few years to when I started at the Sheriff's Department. When I started, it was February, and I got bit by the public safety bug. And I knew that I had found what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, for my career. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that I wanted to move up through the ranks. Actually, my, my goal was pretty lofty at the time. I wanted to be the first elected female sheriff in the state of Michigan. Um, and Michelle LaJoy Young of Kent County holds that honor. And Michelle oh. LaJoy Young and I have known each other for years. We became friends when um, we both worked on transition teams for the jails for our, our counties. Um, so I'm, awesome. I'm proud to say that I do know. I, yeah, that I, I've had a long-standing, albeit somewhat casual, relationship <laughs> with Michelle. I think the world of her. Um, but I knew if I wanted to be promoted that I had to do the work. I had to, um, and all of the promotions at my department came off of, from the road. That, you know, if you wanted to move up, you had to be a sergeant, and all the sergeants came off the road, and... I was willing to do, I, I wanted to be a part of how things worked. The, the policy development, the, the budgetary stuff, just the how, what supports working public mm -hmm. safety. So I made the decision to, to go to college and go through the police academy and, you know, work my way up through the ranks. And the, shortly after I graduated from the police academy and became certified, we had a, a, a road position that was going to open up and the transition team open up. And um, I thought, you know, I can go work the road anytime, but I'm only going to have one opportunity in my career to build and move into a new facility. Yeah. And as Sherry knows, I have actually had several. I, I've built two over... You know, I've I've overseen. I can hammer I can hammer a nail, but I can't build. <laughs> but I've I've been involved 
and overseen and coordinated the construction now of, of two facilities. Wow. And I feel very, I feel really blessed to have that opportunity. So I took the opportunity to do the transition, uh, to take the position of transition coordinator. So um, while I was doing that, um, I, I became engaged and everything was over and I worked. I helped run 911 in the jail for a year and that's when it, it came time to leave. My former husband said, you know what, we've been married for three months. Do you think you could like move to where I live? <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> and I tell people he dragged me out of Benzie County kick, kicking and kicking and screaming. And, um, but when I went to Allegan, mm -hmm. um, I was, the next county was Western Michigan University. So I went back to, um, school there and finished my undergraduate degree in um, public and um, criminal justice okay. with a minor in political science wow okay that's awesome and then go ahead and i, I find that sometimes um, i look back and my life has been setting a goal and reaching the goal and then setting another goal and working towards that and when i um, finished my undergraduate degree at, at Western. Um, loved being a 911 director. That time went, that 10 years, sometimes I look back and I think, where did that go? It went incredibly fast. Yeah. And um, we built a new facility. Um, our, our dispatch center had been uh, converted. The old sheriff's uh, apartment had been converted to the um, 911 center, and we ended up building a standalone 911 center. And while we were doing that, I knew that I wanted to continue to move forward with my career in public safety and had planned on running for a prosecutor back home in Benzie County. Okay. So I, while I was doing that, I went to law school on the weekends. I was a director wow. full-time. Uh, and then I drove to Lansing for four and a half years on the weekends and got my, my law degree at Cooley Law School. Um, wow. Harriet. That, that's amazing. So go ahead. Um, I was just going Please to say. just make a quick comment about her kicking and screaming, leaving Benzie County. Um, you know, you have so many <laughs> pivotal moments in your life where you think, oh, this is what I want to do. But moving to Allegan County actually changed the whole course of your life, your career. And I know myself included, there are many, <laughs> many of us who are really grateful because you are, you know, you have been Thank so you. tremendous to the profession. Thank, thank you. Because then what happened after I finished law school, I graduated from law school in um, 2003, in, in June of 2003, and I took the bar exam in July of 2004, and I learned in November of 2003 that I passed the bar, and 
um, the man who had become the sheriff and I had stayed in contact and he said now you can come back home and run for prosecutor and and that was the plan and in December of 2003 and I remember these dates because they were just so pivotal the Michigan legislature created the position of state 911 administrator and um, it took a while for that position to get into place but in the meantime I started moving towards the goal that I had set of running for prosecutor and the, the sheriff at the time had helped put together a campaign committee uh, for me to run me on, on the ballot and in the meantime civil service uh, developed a job description and created a job description for state 911 administrator and they posted the position in April and I had been approached by several of my colleagues and encouraged to apply for the position and I thought this would be really cool and fulfilling and uh, to take my work as starting as a as a, not even a 911 but a dispatcher at a small rural sheriff's department and become the first state 911 administrator to take that full circle and um, I had to make a decision I couldn't put you know six eggs in one basket and six eggs in the other and say okay this is my backup plan and I actually drove up to Benzie County one night and met with the, the campaign committee that had been put together to assist me to run me on the ballot and I said I'm going to apply for a job with the uh, state as the state 911 administrator and I don't think it's fair for you to invest your time and energy and resources in me because if I really think that this is where my heart is is in 911 and to move forward with with pursuit of that and they said what if you don't get the job you're gonna lose out on both opportunities and I said I really feel like this is the right thing for me to do and it turned out to be the very right thing for me to do and um, it, for me it was I, I interviewed for the the job at state police headquarters for state 911 administrator in June of 2004 right across the street from the Breslin Center where just 11 months earlier I had sat to take the Michigan bar <laughs> exam and <laughs> So it's like, here I am, sitting on Harrison Avenue in East Lansing, Michigan, really, really nervous again, only I'm on the other side of the street. <laughs> That's funny. It's so funny how quick life changes and how mm -hmm. different plans can go. Now, I, can you explain a little bit about, so in December 2003, the, the state made the, made the state now one administrator position. What about the position actually spoke to you more than becoming the prosecutor because obviously you went to school you took the bar to become the prosecutor so something had to be really cool about this position that really changed your mind what was it remember when I talked about going back to school to being going through the police academy because I loved dispatching I loved the whole getting my hands on part of public safety being a corrections officer being a dispatcher and even the what little bit of um, foot patrol and, and other work that I that I was allowed to do when I was at the sheriff's department um, I had always wanted to be a part of 
making things work, of being not just in, in the forefront background, but the like the skeleton of the body, the thing okay. that holds it up, the budget, the policy making, the um, thinking part of what makes everything. And, and I don't want to say thinking because I know when I was a dispatcher, I was a good debt. I was a good at it because you have to think so quickly mm -hmm. and you have to make decisions that impact people's lives, their property, their belongings. And being a part, the administrative part of it, that's what attracted me to it. And while I was the director at Allegan County 911, I had the opportunity to be on the um, state 911 committees, uh, training subcommittee and their legislative action subcommittee. So I got to be a part of not just policy development with, with policy development within my own community, but on a broad level to help shape state statute, to help shape training for telecommunicators mm -hmm. all the way across the state. And that really was attractive to me, to help develop policy, not just for the 109,000 citizens in my county, but and that was a big switch too to go yeah. from being responsible to my county to being a part of what kept 9.9 .9 million people mm -hmm. safe and that was really attractive to me to help be part of the bigger picture no that makes total sense like sherry talks about it all the time too like you said before you got bitten by the bug of public safety uh -huh. Where it just keeps bringing you back in, and you like being a part of what makes things work because when you're a, the director, you know the things that are broken, and you know the step that takes that you know how to fix it. You're the one that actually works it and does it. So to see like where you wanted to go, it's just a cool, cool story. So, how long does that position last? Is it a temporary position? Is it until you want to leave the state the state office? How does that work? It, well, it is a permanent position within the Michigan State Police. It, okay. it's, a, it's a direct report to a deputy director within uh, the, the Michigan State Police. And I was very, very fortunate in my role that um, I, even though I reported within the, the command structure of the Michigan State Police, I was given a lot of independence and a lot of the support that I needed to do my job, to act as um, this, this independent body within the Michigan State Police, reporting to the State 911 Committee, yet still being a part of, of the MSP family. So that is, in most states, it is a permanent position. In some places, it's a civil service position. In some states, it's a gubernatorial appointee position so it varies from from state to state okay okay now can you give us an idea how long did you hold that position for a little over 15 years wow wow That's... and it went i tell you what it went fast <laughs> it went it went faster than my tenure elegant really? wow <laughs> yeah well what would you say would be what what is like um, I would say the policy initiative that you were part of that you were most proud of? I think the transition 
there's two that I would say are to me are are equal. They were as much work. One was the transition from in Michigan we had county landline fees and a state wireless fee and to help be a part of the transition to go to an all device fee at both the state level and the local level because there was a huge um, especially for the locals to make sure that system worked as well as it could because at that time we had out of the 83 counties I think we had 52 or 60 that had um, ballot proposals that the citizens had voted in place for their landlines so when the statute went into effect those ballot proposals were no longer valid and we had to develop a transition system to make sure that the funding stayed intact for those local 911 systems and that mechanism didn't as Sherry is very aware of didn't work quite as well as it, it worked but not quite the way that we anticipated it mm -hmm. to to work there had been some conflict between what the state 911 committee deemed was appropriate and what the the then um, the Public Service Commission thought thought would be appropriate and it wound up being a lawsuit that the state 911 committee was not involved in but the counties were independently and uh, the counties found a way to make that shifting mechanism work the, the best they could but now that that mechanism is in place I am proud to, to say that we were one of the first states to do that mm -hmm. to make that that transition and cool. other states have been able to look at it and say okay how can we do this so it works it works for us and I think the second thing that I'm equally proud of that was as much work was getting minimum telecommunicator standard training standards for the state of Michigan and starting that step towards recognizing 911 operators telecommunicators their training is as important mm -hmm. as police officers firefighters EMTs so that every telecommunicator from the Detroit metropolitan area all the way up to lots you know covering those 9.9 .9 million citizens have a base level of training all the way across the state of Michigan to me that was just such a huge accomplishment and, and a necessary one because they do need that training and the the amount of pressure and responsibility is just super high on those call takers and nowadays they're recognized as first responders so it just keeps getting more and more pushed forward into the proper recognition that these individuals deserve so can you give us a little idea and I'm gonna mess up the full title Give us ideas to what you do with the National Association of State 911 Administrators. That's the that's the long title. Uh, <laughs> As the executive director, there's a number of things I do. Okay. Because I've gone from this state level position where I, you know, help 
coordinate things at a state level and to go to a national level is there's so many things that happen at a national level and my job is to help support the states in their programming. I do a lot of connecting the dots. Um, here is an example is with um, the current 988 deployment for a three-digit suicide mm -hmm. hotline is there's a lot of work that's being done in the community mental health community uh, you know in the mental health community and what happens in the 911 community needs to connect with what's happening in the mental health um, community and how they interpret what happens in three-digit dialing and what we have experienced what happens with three-digit dialing can be very very different uh, a, another thing is policy change like when we start looking at next generation 911 there's 50 different states and there's probably 50 different ways of doing next generation 911 the technology is pretty much the same but the policy supporting it mm -hmm. is much different how Michigan is doing it is much different than how California is doing it which is very different than how you know Maine is doing it which is different than how Florida is doing it and to help find those common threads so that the members have a place to share their experiences where they can have a place to share their lessons learned is uh, it, it's it's fun and it's, and it's challenging when we look at national legislation you know how does that how does what's happening at the FCC affect us um, NASNA just filed uh, we filed a petition in October mm -hmm. and it's up for comments right now um, about uh, cost clarification the FCC's oversight of Next Generation 911. What are the phases of Next Generation 911? Because wireless had phases. We had phase zero. We had I'm off screen. Phase zero, phase one, phase two, and they were clearly designated. Yeah. We don't have that yet for wireless night for IP 911 for Next Generation mm -hmm. 911. So we are asking, and, and the commission opened that for comments just before Christmas. So NASNA filed a petition with the FCC seeking clarification for that. So now I'm not just involved in my county, you know, I'm worried about my citizens or just my state, but at a broader level, trying to find, help find those common 911 threads so that we can compare and contrast and states can find what works for their state demographics. That's cool. Can you can you tell us when did you get in, first involved with NASDA and how long have you been there? <laughs> uh, you've <laughs> okay, well, we can all hear the cat at the moment. I can always Zach, I, I've lost you. Can you hear me? I can, can hear, hear you. you. Can you hear me? Oh, she can't hear us. Oh. Uh oh. I... Harry, can you hear us? Oh, there we go. Yeah, I can hear you can, now. For oh, some beautiful. reason you it just cut out. 
Oh, awesome. I'm not sure what happened. I, I heard I heard the cat, and, and then I, and oh. we had some issues from there. <laughs> no worries. So I can always edit this stuff out. Not a big deal. Okay. Um, okay. I got to rewind. Do you want to do an edit for just a... Yeah, okay, I'm going to go put the cat on mute. I'll be right yeah, back. Yeah, no okay. worries. Of course. <laughs> meow, meow. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> there, she'll be in the bathroom and muffle. There you go. <laughs> it's too cold to go put her in the garage. Normally, I would just go put her in the garage. And put, that's what I call putting the cat on mute. Yeah, there you go. I love it. <laughs> I'm so good. Um, okay, so I was asking you, Harriet, can you uh, tell us, when did you get involved with NASDA, and how did you get involved with NASDA in the first place? When I... My first experience with NASNA wasn't a direct experience, but I was at a NINA conference known as TDC-ODC, the Operational and the Technical Development Conference. And NASNA used to meet during parts of TDC and ODC. And I remember walking by this room and seeing all of these people that were talking about you know, this national technical stuff. And I just thought, wow, that's NASNA. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'd heard about them. And we at the time didn't have a state 911 administrator yet. So we didn't have okay. a, a member of NASNA for the state of, of Michigan. I just knew that this NASNA was all the, like, the state, you know, the state 911 administrators. And I was still a local 911 director. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, we had this position and I was in this position. And I remember um, Steve Marsloff, who is the retired director of the state of Virginia, 911, uh, sent me an email. He said, hi, my name's Steve. I'm the president of NASNA and we're having a meeting in Washington, D.C. Yeah. and we're going to put you on the listserv and... Um, here's this list of NASDA members. If you need us, give us a call. And I said, okay. And I, to two things there, had never been to Washington, D.C. before, and I got invited. I'd started in August, and this meeting was in October. Mm -hmm. I still remember flying into Reagan National Airport that night and it was dark and seeing the pentagon and seeing the washington monument and just going in the in the mall and was going like oh, wow so shiny and <laughs> it was so shiny <laughs> and um and then i went to my first nasna meeting in october and I remember sitting in the room, and it was in a meeting room in Washington, D.C., and these people were talking about technology and policy and integrating what they were doing and what was happening with the FCC. And this was back in 2000 and was the fall of 2004 and phase two and cost recovery and I remember thinking, oh my, they have picked the wrong person for this job because I am the dumbest person in this room <laughs> because they all were so smart and they all knew what they were talking about and they had these 
programs and you know these functions in their office and i was still just was me and my secretary and we were sharing a bottle of whiteout Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and and i remember because we were still trying to we were still doing cost recovery Mm -hmm. for we were still trying to do phase one and phase you know we still had counties that hadn't gone to phase one and phase two yet trying to do that deployment and and we were we the state 911 committee was looking at some things to figure out for cost recovery and equipment upgrades and evelyn bailey she's retired now um, she was the director of the state of vermont for the 911 administrator for the state of Vermont. And then she became the executive director of, of NASDA, the position that I hold now. But here I'm the new state 911 administrator at Michigan. I, I'm in a state from 9.9 million people. Mm-hmm. And I call, and the state 911 committee asked me, can you go through your list of states and call the states and see what they're doing for cost recovery on this particular issue? And it had to do with chip upgrades in handheld and cell phones. And so I remember asking the population, asking you know the amount of their collection, how they did the cost recovery, and talking to Vermont and saying, and how many people do you, what's your population? And she said, 600,000 people. I was like, how do you have a state with 600,000 people? That's a city Have you Detroit. ever talked about, have you ever talked to New Hampshire about consolidation? That's funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. And um, she, she still, we still laugh. We still laugh about this. Like, really? You have a state with six? I said, that's half of Oakland <laughs> oh my oh my and gosh. uh so that those were two of my my funny experiences with 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 nas and it was was being in this room and then talking about our funding in michigan and having people look at me because we had the state surcharge, this local surcharge, this technical surcharge, mm-hmm. and I knew, you know, the distribution, the forty percent, the sixty percent, and of that fifty-five percent, you know, twenty-five percent of it, twenty-five cents went to the counties, and then another seven cents went to, you know, the, the whole formula back then, and I knew that, and I remember my fellow NASNA members looking at me, going, "How do you know all that?" <laughs> That what, and and I came to learn that what we in different states come to see is what works for us Mm -hmm. as individual units of geographics and government works for us might not necessarily be what works for Texas or what works for Maine or what works for Ohio, that we have a common thread Mm -hmm. of how things work and the delivery and the energy that we have for 911 but legislate we have a full-time legislature in Michigan there's states that don't have mm-hmm. a full-time legislature there's states that are more open to fees and to making changes in their statute while other states are very very resistant to it. There are states where 911 
is very much centralized where the state has a lot of control over the surcharge, the distribution, and the operation of the PSAPs. In other states where it is very, very independent, um, Colorado, Michigan, Texas, you, and a number of states have very independent local 911 systems. But so there's still common threads, and yet there's things that are very, very different with systems. Okay, oh, I understand that. So we are getting a little low on time, and I want to make sure we get to uh, two questions. I want to make sure we ask. Okay. One of them would be, what are um, what are some of the national level 911 issues going on right now that are impacting, and how do they impact the local PSAPs? Um, number. One is funding for 911, uh, for next generation 911. Next generation 911 is not cheap yeah, for two reasons. You have to build a new network, you still have to run the existing network, mm -hmm. and then you have the transition to it. Some states have been able to figure out the funding and the policy to do that, other states haven't been able to to do that yet they might have been able to figure out the policy part but not the the funding part just because resources are so so scarce mm -hmm. and and that's that's one of them and what we as NASNA feel very strongly about we don't want to see this digital divide where you have states that have these state-of-the-art IP systems and are able to move 911 calls back and forth and are able to progress to um, levels of digital 911 uh, capabilities while other states are still trying to keep running their analog systems and trying to you know keep that whole retrofit where we've taken this analog 911 system and we've retrofit the um, digital we've retrofit mm -hmm. IP into it telematics into it wireless into it uh, so I see that as the funding, the digital divide as being one of the issues. Um, another issue that I, that I think people are starting to talk about is the competitiveness of the job market. Is, okay. And this really affects the local 911 systems, is finding the people with the skills and the willingness to pay people for those skills the recognition of telecommunicators in the 911 environment today where that level of compensation meets that level of skill and finding people who want to do that job. I, I really think is, is an issue that 911 is facing at, at, at a national level and I think the critical issue forum that's going on in, in uh, that Nina's going to be putting on is, is working to, to address those. I know that we have several members in our state that have taken steps to, to, to direct that. And uh, another issue that I see too facing us is, uh, is politics is sometimes public safety used to be everybody could jump on board and unfortunately in today's political climate now the who 
who supports that becomes more the focus than what's being supported mm -hmm. is that you look start looking at legislation and tiptoeing around it because of who might hold the political power and that it starts to become a, a political issue where can can we get what we need for 911 based on who at the highest level is supporting that and i would like to see our elected leaders be more together and mm -hmm. more on point for the things that matter all the way down to the call taker to that 911 telecommunicator sitting in a, a seat answering 911 where is your emergency you don't care who's in office if you can't call 911 if someone's trying to come into your house that's all right. that matters you don't care who's in office you want to be able to pick up that phone and get some help if you need it because that's what it's there for so okay no those are some those are some major issues that do face us and like you said politics always wins over any game it's in it's always the overriding narrative to everything that goes on it's very frustrating so that aside can you give us an idea harriet what are what kind of advice would you give somebody who's aspiring to follow in your career footsteps Look at this, and and I wrote this down. I, I can just read it right off of here and be done in like thirty seconds. Number one, my advice is is be prepared to work hard. Um, I, when you would ask me about going to school and you know building a center and starting policies from the ground up, you know coming into a comm system that you know had by gosh and by golly. Uh, a policies written is um, is 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 working hard and on on also being able to find balance so that that's not all you are is, is work because I, I find in public safety it will take as much as we will give it and if I wanted if I was willing to work 16 hours a day there's 16 hours worth of work to do of course and it and so i'm not afraid to work hard but i also think it's real don't be afraid to work hard but also don't be afraid to say i need to take care of me i need to take care of my family i need to go you know work in my garden i need to go for a run i need to go to church i need i need to be there for the other things that make my life full and make mm -hmm. me productive another thing is um, you have thick skin the transition from being a, a local 911 director where all I was responsible was for my my county and going to a state level where what I thought was was good and what I saw for the entire state might be, or what the state 911 committee saw, or what was generally a broad consensus might create opposition within certain pockets. Mm -hmm. And um, you're gonna face criticism for that. You may face criticism from um, the legislature for bringing a proposal together that, you know, to work with collaborative for months with a proposal to bring to the state legislature and they say well, what are you thinking we can't do this 
uh, but, you know, the political, we're not raising taxes. We can't raise the 911 fee or, you know, the industry thinks this, is that be prepared to um, ha have thick skin. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and and you, you're not going to know everything. I have learned to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I can find somebody who Gross. can help you. <laughs> is that to be honest and say I don't have the it's okay not to know everything and just to be prepared uh, I especially when you're going up before elected officials whether it be a county board of commissioners a state legislature a congressional committee be pre -pick. Get, be prepared for the question that you don't think you're going to get. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to over-prepare for things because if you don't, that will be the thing that you get asked about. Exactly, and that's where the whole thing falls apart, right? They catch you on that yeah. one thing. It doesn't. Um, yeah, and if you don't, if you aren't prepared and you don't know, if you don't know, say, you don't know, but I will get that answer to you as soon as I can. Exactly. Sherry? Well, I was just going to comment on Harriet's um, starting her list with be prepared and ending it, ending it with be prepared because that really is so critical. And um, to her point, you know, when you're trying to prepare and you think what you have is a no-brainer, you know, you think you've covered all of the important points, um, you just have to really step out of yourself and uh, remember who you're presenting to and what their perception is and prepare from that angle instead of this is easy uh, because you know I know in my career and, and Harriet's probably too uh, we would go into a meeting to present and be so blindsided because it seemed so simple but we we just didn't fully prepare for our audience. Did you find that, Harriet, to be true? I found I was prepared on the subject and the topic that I thought we were, that was, that was on the agenda. This is what we're gonna cover. And then somebody is gonna pull something out, let me do it from here, from someplace else, and put it on the table. And you're not, expecting expecting that well what about this well what about that um, sure I don't I would there was one time at a, at a state um, uh, house committee hearing that a, a legislator made a, a, a what I felt what at the time was a really disparaging comment about me personally somebody told me later no it, it's not but I remember that it was at that at my expense this guy made a joke. This 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 elected official made a joke about me, and um, after that, I was prepared that some people don't. They just want an answer. They don't. They there's certain things that they don't want the whole, all of the information as to why. They just want. An, an answer and if the answer's not 
what they want to hear, you need to be able to be prepared to respond to that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the whole, it sounds just like an amazing career you've had the last 30 years. Crazy, stressful, fun, active, helpful. I mean, there's so many ways to describe what you've done over the last 30 years. So just to one last thing to close things up. Do you have any last comments you'd like to leave with our audience members? Um, I see Sherry's off camera. Maybe she's on camera. At the end of, and I'm going to get a little teary-eyed here. At the end of the book, The Fault in Our Stars, um, when Hazel is being eulogized, they, they say, um, uh, some people come into the, they want to leave a mark on the world and all they leave is a scar. I really hope that the work that I've been a part of collectively leaves a mark that so when somebody, it, nobody calls 911 because they're having a good day and what I hope the work that we all do is there for that person in that dark cold hard scary spot in their life when they reach out for help that there's somebody there to answer the phone to answer their call and to send them the help that they need that's powerful Amen. That's powerful. That was right? beautiful. That was. That was amazing. I think that might be the best place to end this. Thank you so much for uh, talking to us today, Harriet. You're welcome.